I get in, I get instant bardic inspiration from that because uh, you can help me uh, inspire some of the clothing that I'm making. So yes, I love Boo. that. <laughs> uh, Emily, would you introduce our fantastic guest for the evening? Yes, I would love to. Tonight we have uh, back to the podcast, Laura Packer. She is a uh, a world-renowned, celebrated, and beloved storyteller in America. And we're so thrilled to have you here. Welcome to the show, Laura. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me to share stories. Yay! So glad you can make it. Um, <clears throat> we are looking forward to the spooky stories, mm -hmm. and um, I think it, I think it's a good idea not to scare Trey too much right off the bat. Mm, okay. <laughs> Look, I so, can only I can only clean up so many messes. I'm sorry. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know that I needed to know that though, but <laughs> sorry. So I have um, several stories for you tonight, and they go from less spooky to more spooky to pretty scary. So if you are easily frightened, this one's fine. The others, well, I think you should stay anyway and see what happens. This first story is from England. It's a very old story, and it's one of the first scary stories, not the first, one of the first scary stories that I learned how to tell. It was cold and it was dark. The only light was the crack of lightning above and the rain pelted down upon the vicar as there in the churchyard he dug yet another grave. The plague had swept through the village and there was death after death after death and his back hurt from all of the digging and his heart hurt from all of the loss. And at that very moment, he was thinking of neither because the rain had sent a trickle of cold water running down the back of his neck and he turned and twisted to try and make it go away and then stood up to stretch his back just as there was a crack of lightning. And in that moment, in that bright flash of light, he saw the most curious thing. Well, he finished his work. He couldn't help thinking about what he had seen. And the whole way home, he thought about how he would tell his wife about this strange visitation. He ran home through the rain as quickly as he could. His collar pulled high and his hat pulled low. He opened up the door to his warm little home. And there, there he saw his wife sitting in front of the fire, hissing and popping. And their cat, old Tom, was sitting right next to her. As the door banged open, Tom looked and saw it was him and then blinked his big green eyes. And the vicar's wife said, oh, darling, welcome home. Well, he hung up his coat and his hat and closed the door and made his way to his chair by the fire, where he said to his wife, tonight, while I was digging, I saw the most curious thing. What was it, dear? said his wife. And old Tom began to lick his hand, his paw, and groom himself. And the vicar said, well, I was digging 
another grave from this cursed plague. And I stood up to stretch my back. And as I did, there was a crack of lightning. And in that bright light, I saw walking by me seven cats. Seven cats, said his wife. And Tom turned his head as if he were listening to the vicar. Yes, seven cats, he said. They were all standing upright on two legs, walking just like men. And they were in two rows of three, and between them they carried a tiny little coffin. And as they walked, the six cats went, meow, 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 with each step they took. How odd, said the vicar's wife, and Tom, the cat, said, meow. In front of them, said the vicar, there was a seventh cat, larger than the rest. He was all black, but for a white patch on his breast, just like our Tom. And when they pulled even with me, they stopped. And that seventh cat turned to look right at me. And Tom the cat went, <laughs> and the vicar said, that seventh cat looked at me and said, tell Tom Tildrums that Tom Tildrums is dead. And then they walked off into the storm. Isn't that strange, dear? Dear? But the vicar's wife wasn't looking at him anymore. Instead, she was looking at their cat, Tom, who had puffed himself up and then pulled himself up until he was standing on two legs. And he looked at them and said, If Tom Toldrums is dead, then I am the king of cats. And Tom swept up the chimney and was never seen again. <laughs> Isn't that a fun one? I like that. I like that ending a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I like this story because I love the imagery of the cats and so many people love cats. It's fun to have a little spooky story for them. And it has a happy ending like even if he went away, he's the king of cats. And what a he great is the king life. Of cats. Yep, that's right. Shall I go on? Oh, please. Yes. Okay. Yes, yes. So um, earlier this week, I was in Rhode Island uh, for some work. And I used to live on the East Coast. And with my friends, when I lived there, we would go for these long, rambling road trips over Connecticut and Rhode Island and Massachusetts and New Hampshire. And as we drove, we would try and go to these obscure little villages that still dot the New England states. And when we would go to these obscure villages, we would do two things. If they had a diner, we would stop for a slice of pie. And if they had a cemetery, we would stop to explore. We were in distant Rhode Island. Now, Rhode Island isn't a large state, but it has a lot of these tiny little villages. And we stopped there and there was no pie to be had, but we found a graveyard. <clears throat> Excuse me for a moment. Mm -hmm. I'm so sorry. I'm having terrible allergies. We found a graveyard. We parked the car. And I remember sitting in the car and listening to the engine go tick, tick, as it cooled down. And when we opened the door, a great gust of cold wind came into the car. It was around this time of year when the days were sometimes very chill. 
a flurry of leaves came into the car too, red and orange and yellow, swirling around and then swept away by the wind again as if a great hand had reached over to pull them out. And then we thumped the door shut and walked through the graveyard. It was an old cemetery. There were stones there from the 1600s, so worn that the names of the people upon whose bones we trod while they were long worn away. And there were crypts buried in the hill with doors that never hung on their hinges quite right, so they would be just a little askew, and we would peer into the blackness. We couldn't see anything, but that cool air always had a particular aroma of dirt and time. And then we saw one headstone that was really peculiar. It was bound to the ground with wire straps that were old and rusty and bleeding the rust onto the stone. And at the base of the stone, there were pennies and dimes. There was what looked like a wedding ring and wax from candles. I read the name of the person on the stone. It was still barely legible. The date was from the 1700s and the name was Mercy Brown. Below her name, it said, twice buried, once dead. Well, I couldn't resist. Once we were done with the drive, I went to the library and looked for books on Rhode Island legends, and I really had to look. This one was hidden in an old book that was dusty on the shelves, and I was reading through this book of Rhode Island folklore when I came across the story of Mercy Brown, Vampire. Mm. Elias Brown, I'm not done yet. Let me tell you the story. Yeah. Um, yep. Sorry about that. <laughs> Elias Brown, he was, in the terms of the day, a wealthy man. He had enough farmland to support his family and then to sell off hay and vegetables. He had four healthy children, which in those days, in those days, that was a rarity. And it made him rich indeed. And he had a wife who was strong and of good temper. And their life together was as sweet as it could be in those early days in if settling the United States. Well, everything was fine until one autumn his eldest daughter grew ill. She grew pale and weak and began to cough. As she took to her bed, and before they could call the preacher to say a blessing over her, she was gone. The family was heartbroken. They buried her in the cemetery, but work needs doing. And so the work was done. And all was well for a week, maybe, when his youngest daughter, the next youngest child, Mercy Brown, began to grow pale. She began to cough. And when she coughed hard enough, a bit of scarlet would color her lips. And soon she took to her bed and coughing and wheezing, the preacher came and said the blessing over her just before she died. <coughs> and the family buried her next to her sister. And all was as well as it could be, though grief is a vicious beast. Elias Brown sent his next eldest son away, the one in between Mercy and the oldest daughter. He was sent to live with family, but he could not bear to send his youngest boy 
James was the apple of his eye. He loved James with all his heart, and the thought of sending that boy away made his heart clench in his breast. And so he decided to keep the boy with him and do his best to keep him well, to keep him healthy and whole. A lot of fresh air will do him good, they thought. And so through their grief, they worked. And then James took ill, just like his sisters. He grew pale. There were burning spots of red in his cheeks. He began to cough and he took to his bed. And one morning, one morning when he was not awake, but nor was he asleep, he cried out to his father, clutching his hand, Father, Father, keep mercy away from me, he said. And then with a great breath and a long rattling exhale, he was gone. There comes a point when you break. And I think that had I lost three of my children in short order, I would have broken long before Elias Brown did. But he called the preacher and the body was blessed and buried under that cold, hard ground. The leaves skittered across the grave, sounding for all the world like they were creatures running on little fingertips. And then, then he called the men of the village together. They stayed up late that night talking about his lost children and talking about what James had said. And the men said together, to Elias Brown, who could not say it himself, well, we'd best dig up mercy. Elias shook his head in disgust and horror. He didn't want to see the corpse of his daughter. He didn't want to see any of his children dead. How could they do that? But then his oldest friend put his hand on his shoulder and said, Elias, you know what must be done. And so that night, with torches burning bright, and shovels in their hands, they went to the graveyard. It wasn't hard to take up Mercy. The soil from her burial had barely had time to settle, and with each crunch of the dirt into the earth, Elias Brown felt his heart growing a little bit harder. If his daughter was what they feared, a revenant, he couldn't even bring himself to say the word, then he would do what must be done. Shovel after shovel of dirt was pulled from her grave, and soon the pile of dirt beside her grave was as deep as the grave itself, and there was her coffin. With grunts, they managed to pull it up and set it upon the flat earth on the other side of the grave, and then they creaked the door of that coffin open. The lid fell open with a thunk, and there was Mercy. Now she had been dead almost a month. She should have been nothing more than a rotting corpse, with fluids filling the coffin and bone beginning to show, but no. Her cheeks were soft and round. There was a hint of pink in each of them. Her lips were redder than they had been in life, and her eyes were open but without seeing. And Elias Brown said, I will do what needs to be done. So he took the shovel. And soon her head was cut through, her neck was cut through. They turned her head, they shoved, they put garlic in her mouth and turned her head over and turned her body so the neck was at one end and her head at the other. And then they sprinkled her with holy water. 
and they covered her up and buried her again. Elias Brown went home, and he told his wife about what had happened, and he said to her, when I took that shovel and I put it against her throat, her eyes began to see and her body began to thrash and she began to scream. But I swear to you, when I cut through her neck, I heard her voice saying, thank you, Father, I am gone. And so I don't know if I did the right thing or the wrong, but she is gone now. And our only living boy, well, maybe he will stay with us. And so he did. The boy was summoned back home. And Mercy Brown never visited him. He lived for a long life, long after his parents had died, and he inherited that farmland, and he tended the graves of his siblings and his parents. And there I was, hundreds of years later, standing beside her tombstone, looking at the iron that bound the stone to the earth and the words, twice buried, once dead. Thank you. Well done. Thank you. Did you get a shiver? Yeah, for Good. sure. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. So just so you know, that story is pretty much true. Um, I was at that place. I saw those things. And Mercy Brown is the Rhode Island vampire. Oh. You could look her up. You could find find the story of Mercy Brown. So the only part that wasn't true was that it was hard to do the research because her story is everywhere. So. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah, strange things happen in this world of ours. And we, it's easy to forget that strange things happen and tell ourselves that our electric lights and all of that make us safe. But I don't know that they always do. So, <laughs> Are you, do you have any questions or comments? Should I go on? Um, Trey? <laughs> um. I'm having a blast. Please continue. Okay. All right. Um, so hello to everybody who's watching. I hope you're enjoying these stories. Um, the next story that I want to share with you, uh, thinking about which one I want to do. I'm going to do one of my favorites. This is, um, there are versions of this story from Jewish folklore. There are versions from folklore around Eastern Europe. Um, and I, I love this one because there is a wiliness to this story that I think is really fun. This is called The Knife. Well, he wasn't a very good son, but no one could say that she was a good mother either. And when she finally shuffled off this mortal coil, he shed some tears at her burial. But mostly, to tell you the truth, he was relieved. You see, she had been a tight-fisted woman. And throughout his entire childhood, well, he knew that she had money. There was money always enough for a new dress for her or for her to go and go visit friends or relatives. But there was never enough money for him. His shoes would wear through and she would tell him to just fix them while she had pair after pair after pair of shoes in her closet. So after she died, he wanted to know where the money was. So he went back to the house where he had lived with his mother his entire life, and he began to tear it apart. He was methodical. 
he started in the basement and emptied out everything in the basement and looked for likely places where it could be buried. And then he made his way up to the first floor and emptied out the kitchen and the living room and then went to the bedrooms upstairs and tore her bedroom apart. He pulled up the floorboards. He checked every book and every box. He even checked his own room. She was sneaky enough that she might have hidden the money there. But no, he couldn't find anything. And he stopped being able to sleep. He was so frustrated and full of rage and anger that finally, finally, he decided to go to her and ask for help. She lived at the edge of the village. Some people called her a witch. But most people, most people, well, they just knew that she was there if they needed her. And they gave her a chicken or some eggs or some fresh dug turnips in exchange for her services. And so he went and he told her the story of what had happened. And he said to her, I will, I want to know where that money is. And if you can find it for me, why I will give you fully half of whatever I find. Please help me. I can't sleep. I can't eat. All I want is to know where the vixen hid it. And so the old woman said, well, I can do that for you because witches are always called old women, of course. And if you will pay me half of the money, I suppose that will be good enough. Very well, she said, you go back home and come see me in three days time. And so he did. He went back to his house and we will leave him there for a little while, though he returns to our story. She went into the kitchen of her home and she looked at the knives that were hanging on hooks on the wall. There was the one that was long and the one that was short and the one that was thick and wide. There was the one that she could never get quite clean. So there was a spot of blood on it and it was prone to rust. And then finally, there was the knife she was looking for. She took that knife, and before she went to bed that night, she said words over it and used it to slice her own hand. And while the blood was still fresh, she put it under her pillow, and she went to sleep. In the middle of the night, she had a dream. She dreamt that she was down in hell, and a demon walked up to her. It was hot, and the sound of the damned was nearly overwhelming, even in her dream. But this demon came up to her with a great knife stuck in his breast. And he said to her, remove this knife from me. And she looked at the demon and said, why should I? And the demon said, remove it, woman. But she was afraid of nothing. <coughs> Excuse me. And she said, I will remove it only if you will bring to me the spirit of the old woman who died in the village recently. And the demon said, bah, I will do no such thing. And she woke up. The knife was a little more bloody now. And she left it under her pillow and went about her day. And the that night when she went to sleep, there she was in hell again. And the demon came towards her, but now there were two smaller demons on either side supporting him, his arms draped over their shoulders. And the knife, the knife was deeper in his breast and the blood was starting to seep down. And the demon said, please 
tell me, how can I remove this knife from me? Please, will you pull it out, old woman? And she said, well, you know what I want. I must speak with the souls of one of the damned. And the demon roared, no, we can do no such thing here. And she shrugged and woke up. And the next night, when she went to sleep, that sleep, that bloody knife was under her pillow. And when she slept, she had a dream. And there she was in hell. And the demon was on the ground, rolling in agony, a puddle of blood underneath him. And he said, please. And she said, all I need is a few minutes with one of the souls of the damned. And the demon said, fine, fine, I shall do so. And the demons sent other demons to bring back the woman who had died. Well, said the witch, your son has hired me to find out where the money is hidden. And she said, I will tell him no such thing. He was a terrible son. He didn't care for me in life. Why should I care for him in death? And the witch said, tell me, or I will never free this demon from his torment. And who knows what they will do to you? Fine, said the woman. I will only tell you this. It is in a box. You tell him that, and that will have to be enough. And the witch said, very well, and then reached over and pulled the knife out from the demon. When she woke up, the knife was there in her hand, her nightgown covered in blood. And that afternoon, the man came to her door. She let him in and said, well, I've spoken with your mother. And she said that the money is in a box. A box! A box. I have looked in every box in the house. I have found no money. You have not done right by me. And the old woman said, well, go and look again. See what you can find. So the, the man went back to his home and he looked in every box, in this box and that box. But then finally there was one box that was heavier than it should have been. And so he picked it up and dashed it up on the floor and the false bottom fell out. And there finally, was his mother's fortune. He gathered it up and put it in a bag and left that very night, not going to the old woman's house to give her her due. Well, over the next few days, all everyone in the village talked about was how the son of the woman who had died had disappeared and how the house was an incredible mess and there in the house was a broken box. The old woman knew what had happened. She had no doubt that he had found the money and then left, but she wasn't worried. You see, she had a knife. So I like that one a lot. That's a fun one to tell. That was great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that one. <clears throat> that story and None of the others that I'm going to tell tonight, but, but other really good stories can be found in collections called um, uh, More Bones. And there's another one in that series that I can't remember right now. Um, but they're great collections. And they're also collections by Howard Schwartz that are full of fabulous, scary stories. That's awesome. Okay. Um to make sure that our listening audience can um, continue to hear your incredible stories, um, I understand that you've recently set up um, a place where uh, patrons can uh, provide to you and continue to hear more incredible things and maybe get some behind-the-scenes content. Mm -hmm. um, 
might be a place called Patreon. Can you Indeed. tell us a little bit? Can you tell yes. us a little bit more about that? Thank you for asking. So, um, for those of you who don't know, Patreon is a website where artists can set up pages, and people who like their work can support them with a little bit of money each month, or a lot of money each month, and they get good stuff in exchange. So, I have a Patreon, um, and it goes from three dollars, three dollars a month all the way up to $100 a month. So if you're feeling flush and want to share, I would not complain. But for anyone who supports me at any level, you get regular essays and little videos about storytelling. And once a month, you'll get something called a story seed, which is a, a story prompt, a little playful prompt. And at $5 a month and more, which really isn't much more, you get stories and all kinds of stuff. I do meetups with my patrons. You get books at certain levels and you actually get time with me. Um, at certain levels of, of support as well. I have to tell you, Patreon is my only consistent income. So it makes a really big difference in my life if people choose to support me on Patreon. And we have a lot of fun there. I share a lot of good stuff and I, I hope you can join me. I'd be delighted. I also have a concert coming up at the end of this month called ha Haunted, More Stories for the Brave of Heart, which includes other scary stories other than what I'm telling today and um, some, some that are even scarier than what I might tell tonight mm -hmm. because this will be on YouTube and I really don't want to uh, scare someone so much that they, they have, they faint or anything. So, <laughs> so I hope you can join me on, on YouTube. Oh, excuse me. And for all of this, you can find me at laurapacker.com, which has information about me and upcoming events and all kinds of other stuff. Excellent. And you can follow Laura's social media. Um, that's available. All the links are at laurapacker.com. Um, but your story, Laura, on Instagram. My story on Instagram. No, you are story, Laura. Oh, on yes, Instagram. yes, yes. I am. Sorry. Sorry. I'm story, Laura, on Instagram. Yes. Yeah. Or Laura Packer, storyteller. Either one works. Okay. Um, and I just actually started on Blue Sky. So if anyone's mm -hmm. there, look me yeah. up. It's a new social network um, that is kind of an alternative to Twitter. Okay. Um, X, I'm sorry. Look me up and I'd be happy to connect with you there, though I'm not posting too much yet. I'm just watching. Gotcha. So, okay. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Um, you want? Do you have? Do you have one more story in you? Oh yeah, we're oh, not yeah. done yet. We just wanted to okay. make sure our audience knew what who you were and what was going on and knew how to connect that. with you before it got much later. So great, thank you. I appreciate that. So this next story that I'm going to share with you is one of my favorites, and it's one of my favorites because it's not just a scary story, but it's how I learned that storytelling can be really effective. So <clears throat> let me have a sip of water. Maybe you're turning into a vampire. Have you considered this? <laughs> I have. I have. You know, I like the nighttime and I think my teeth are maybe getting <laughs> a little pointier. <laughs> All right. We'll just watch you closely then. That's right. You should. When I was a kid, I went to summer camp. Now, I know people who had amazing experiences in overnight summer camp, and there were things that I liked about it, but to tell you the truth, I did not fit in. I was a little too weird, I'm sure you're shocked, to really fit in with the other girls in my bunk. I enjoyed the activities, I liked swimming and hiking and arts and crafts and all that kind of stuff, but it was hard. Because I didn't fit in, it was a little bit lonely. 
Now, one year at summer camp, we were actually going to go camping. Usually we stayed in bunks and in, I'm sure you've seen those. So a big room with lots of bunk beds in it. Um, and it smells like old wood and whatever's and the fire that's burning outside. Um, and the counselors stayed in another room in that same building, but we were actually going camping. We were going to camp in tents. And I was so excited because I went camping with my family almost every year. And I knew a thing or two about camping and maybe they wouldn't pick on me so much afterwards once they saw my great camping skills. I should have known that skills are not what get you not picked on. But, you know, that came later in my life. So everyone in my bunk, we piled into a van and we drove out of the camp and along the highway and then on secondary roads and then up the really dusty gravel road until we got to the property where the, that the camp owned high up in the Pocono Mountains. This was in Pennsylvania. We opened up the gate and drove in and closed the gate and I looked behind us and I could see that cloud of dust rising up in the air. And when we finally got to the camping area, we all piled out of the, the van and the camping director, the fellow who lived there all, through all summer, said to us, all right, kids, there are three rules while you're here camping. Rule number one, no food in the tent. Because if you have food in the tent, the bears will smell it and they can come and get that food and you really don't want a bear in your tent. Rule number two. No one walks around without a buddy, without a partner. Doesn't matter if you're just going to the outhouse, you need a buddy when you go there, especially at night. And rule number three, you always have a flashlight with you at night. Never go anywhere without a flashlight. flashlight. Do you understand that? And we all nodded. And then we went to our tents. There were six people in each tent, six girls in each tent. And when I was got to the tent where I'd been assigned, the other girls who were in there, they said, Laura, you're going to sleep in the back of the tent. So when the bears come, they'll just come and they'll get you first, which I was fine with because I knew that bears have really good noses. And if I didn't have any food in the tent, the bear was going to go for the place where the smell was strongest. So I wasn't too worried about it. <coughs> well, life went on. We hiked and we did camp crafts and stuff like that. And the only people impressed by my skills were the counselors, who had also noticed that I kind of got picked on by the other kids and that I really wanted to fit in. And so I guess they felt sorry for me. So they did something that I'm sure they thought was a favor and I'm equally sure didn't help my popularity at all. After everyone else had to go to sleep in their tent or go, go to their tents and try and sleep, they let me stay up a little later with them. And I would go to the counselor's fire and I would listen to the stories they told and then I'd go back to my tent. And I really liked this because the girls in my tent, oh, they stayed up late giggling they talked about boys. I was 12 years old. I didn't care about boys yet. They talked about makeup. I was 12 years old. I didn't care about makeup. And they talked about pop music. And I didn't know any pop music. That wasn't what I listened to. Is it any surprise that I didn't fit in? Well, so I stayed up late with the counselors every night we were there. And one night, while we were sitting around the fire, the director of the camp said, you want to hear a really scary story? We all nodded. And this was the story he told. Mm. 
There is in Japan a great mountain that reaches up towards the sky and the peak is so sharp that it seems to scrape at the stars. The cliff of that mountain plunges down into a deep, dark valley. It never gets any sun. The mountain is called the Mountain of the Lily, and the valley is the Valley of the Flower. They say that there are things that live there, but this is just a story. Those stories hold truth in them. Once there was a young man who lived in a village on one side of the mountain of the flower. Every year he would walk all the way around the mountain to go visit with his family, and every year it took him days to finish the walk. But this year, this year he thought to himself, why take days to walk around the mountain? I will go through the Valley of the Lily, and at most it will take me a, a day and a night of walking. Yes, I've heard the stories, but they are just stories. And so on the day he was to leave, he put on his pack. The sun was high in the sky and he began to walk. At first, it was little different from the path he usually walked, except it went down into the valley. And as he went down deeper, deeper, the valley grew dark. He could see the path in front of him, but when he looked up, he could see blue sky between the leaves of the trees and the light barely filtered its way down. Around him, he heard far less than he would have expected. He thought to hear birds and little creatures running in the undergrowth, but the only sound was the sound of his own breath and his footsteps. <coughs> and he shrugged it off, telling himself that it was a dark place. Perhaps that was why no creatures lived there and kept walking. As he walked, he kept his eyes on the path and thought his own thoughts. And he was so deep in concentration that he only noticed that the world around him had grown very dark when he almost lost the trail. So he slowed down and kept his eye on the path and wondered about the sounds he heard around him now, the scuttling sounds, the scratching, the snaps of branches as if something heavy stepped upon them. But still he walked as quickly as he could. When he stopped to stretch his back and look up, he saw there far in the distance a little flickering light. So he walked towards that light, following the path as best as he could, and the light grew larger until he realized it was a fire, a campfire. And then he stepped off the path into an opening, a glade above. He could see the stars, and in the middle of the, the, the opening, in the middle of the glade, there was a fire. And on top of that fire, a metal grill. And on that grill, a can. And stirring that can with a clunk, clunk sound was an old man. The old man looked up, startled. Oh, I never see anyone in these woods, especially not at night. Come, come, sit by the fire with me. And so the young man sat down. He told the old man that he was going to see his family and that going through the valley would be so much faster. And stories are... Pah, just stories, but maybe his voice wasn't as brave when he said it this time. Ah, oh, yes, 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 said the old man. Well, sit with me and rest as long as you need to. And so the young man sat there watching the old man stir the, the can, clunk, 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 clunk. 
And then, you know, silence between strangers is rarely comfortable. So he thanked the old man and stood up and kept walking. Soon he was back on the path, the light from the fire far gone behind him. When he looked up, he saw only darkness, and around him the darkness seemed thicker still. But he kept his eye on the trail, and in the thin light of stars that trickled down from between the leaves, he could see the path just enough. After a time, he heard a sound, a, a, a wailing sound. He wasn't sure what it was. He thought maybe it was a hurt animal. But then as he kept walking, the sound grew louder and he realized it was the sound of someone weeping as if their heart were broken. And as he kept walking, the crying sound grew louder until he found himself in another glade. And in the middle of the glade, there was a young woman kneeling on the ground, her face buried in her hands, her hair streaming around her. She was rocking back and forth and sobbing as if the world had come to an end. The young man walked towards her. Miss, he said, Miss, what's wrong? But she didn't stop. He took a few steps closer. Miss, please, please don't cry. I will help. But still she wept. And he took a few steps closer and touched her shoulder and said, Miss, you don't have to cry. Let me help you. What's wrong? And then her crying stopped. And Ever so slowly, she lifted her head from her hands, and she had no face, no eyes, no nose, no mouth, nothing. The young man stood there in horror for a moment and then stumbled back as she lunged towards him, her fingers like claws, and he turned and he began to run. Her fingers had caught in part of his clothing and he heard the rip as he ran out of the glade and behind her, behind her, behind him, he could hear her running, her footsteps pounding on the ground as his footsteps were pounding on the ground and his breath was rasping in his throat, his heart beating in his breast and it felt as if the roots were rising up to trick him, to trip him and the branches were reaching for him and all around him. He heard the sound of heavy footsteps running, and he ran as fast as he could until he saw that flickering light in front of him, and he burst back into the glade, and there was the old man at the fire, and he collapsed by the fire, and the old man said, what is wrong? What is wrong? <gasps> I saw, oh, I saw the most terrible thing. I, I, I can't even tell you, and the old man said, sit, sit, catch your breath. There is nothing following you. But I wonder, said the old man, was it something like this? And he passed his hand in front of his face. And when he did, his face disappeared. No eyes, no nose, no mouth, nothing. The young man never arrived at his relative's house, nor did he ever return back home. Now, this is just a story, but in Japan, there is a mountain that reaches up towards the sky and is so sharp it seems to scrape at the clouds, and one side plunges down into a cliff that leads to a valley that never sees any light. And then the camp director leaned back, and he said, well, Laura, it's time for you to go back to your tent. 
And so I walked back through the woods, having forgotten my flashlight, all by myself. And when I made it back to my tent, I crawled over the giggling girls to my bear bait position in the back. And they said to me, what were you doing? You were out so late. And I said, oh, I just heard the scariest story. Do you want to hear it? And they said, yes. And so I told them the story. I just told you. And then I rolled over and went to sleep. And in the morning when I woke up, I saw the girls in my tent had these dark shadows under their eyes. Oh, they said, Laura, that story was so scary. We couldn't sleep all night long. And I just kind of shrugged. But, you know, they didn't pick on me so much anymore after that. And that, my friends, is how I learned about the power of a well-told tale. Yay! I love this. That was so great. And it's true. It's all true. Okay. Do you want one more? Yes. Yes. Um, but I do have a question. Yes. Um, before we get to the story, you you said the um, that you learned the impact of a good story. So, speaking of like spooky stories in general, what are what do you think are the three most important things to make sure that you include in a good spooky story? Um, your timing needs to be good. You need to not rush through it. You need to go slowly enough that when the scary thing happens, it'll really scare people. Um, you need to modulate your voice and your volume because the changes in volume from fairly quiet to loud can scare people. It can make them jump um, like that. Um, <laughs> um, yep. Um, I'm actually going to give you four things. Okay. It helps if you think the story is a little bit creepy. I don't tell any scary stories that I don't think have creepy elements to them. I'm going to give you five. You need to have sensory detail in it so that people can smell the soil and hear the footsteps. So it should be fairly vivid. And finally, you need to tell the stories that are going to work for your audience, which is what you need to do whenever you are telling stories. So if I were telling to little kids, really little kids, I wouldn't be telling any of these stories. I would tell little kids scary stories. If I were telling to a group of college students, I would tell the scariest stories I could come up with and knew, and I would make them ex extra gruesome. Um, so, you know, know your audience and tell stories for your audience. It's a lot of answers. Good but... advice, though. No, yeah. that is excellent advice. Yeah, thank you. And that those really apply to any kind of stories, but pacing and volume are especially important in scary stories because when you have a relatively low volume and your pacing isn't that fast, you can get people to relax. So when you get to the scary parts, even without yelling, they will be more inclined to be more scared. Yeah. <laughs> and you're so good at it. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Any other questions? Um, no, but uh, Josh in the chat said Baba Yaga with a question mark. So I don't know <laughs> how that's a question, but it is one. And so. So um, for those who don't know, Baba Yaga is a character out of Russian and Eastern European folktale. She is a witch 
and unabashedly a witch. She lives in a house um, that's on chicken legs, so the house wanders around. Um, she eats people who annoy her, and it not not subtly, like will rip off a limb and happily munch down. Um, she can be very helpful if you manage to get on her good side. Um, she's undoubtedly uh, a, a folkloric version of um, a forest goddess or a death goddess um, from old times. Um, and I love Baba Yaga stories. However, Baba Yaga stories aren't scary in the way that we think of scary stories. Terrible things can happen in them or very difficult things like um, in Vasilisa the Beautiful, which is a story that I've built a whole show around an hour long show. Um, at one point, there are characters who dissolve into flaming into, into flames and then into dust. And they were alive a moment before, which is a pretty horrible thing. Yeah. And there are there are lots of, of bloody bones and disembodied body parts. But it's not scary in the way we think of Halloween stories, spooky, scary stories, right. and spooky stories. Yeah. Though, though they're, they're not without their chills, but I love Baba Yaga's stories. Maybe another time we can talk about them and, and share some of them. Okay. Yeah. That's good to know. Yeah. 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 I have a, a show called Becoming Baba Yaga that weaves together Vasilisa the Beautiful and some events out of my own life. And it's about becoming older and maybe becoming wiser and the terrors that we encounter in the course of growing up. Nice. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So I have um, one more story that I would like to share with you tonight. Is it okay if there's Excellent. only one more? Yeah, of right. course. Please, go for this, it. This is hands down one of my scariest stories. It's not necessarily the scariest because different things scare different people. Sure. Um, but I, I, knowing who I'm, who's, you know, knowing the two of you and the few other people who will watch this, I thought it would be a good one. All right, I'm going to go grab my blanket. I'll be right back. Okay. <laughs> oh, yay. He really is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's excellent. Look at I'm that. literally chilling him. Yay. <laughs> and then after your story, we have um, a, some kind of announcement to make, too. Ooh, excellent. Announcements yeah. are good. So stick around to hear the announcement. The announcement. All right. <clears throat> when I was a kid, as I mentioned way back earlier, um, my family used to go camping a lot. And I loved our camping trips. We had an old VW van mm -hmm. and we traveled all over the United States. So by the time I was 10 years old, I had been in most of the 48 contiguous states. And every so often, my parents would say that I could take a friend camping with me. So I ended up um, taking, oh, I've lost her name. Oh, that's terrible. Annie camping with me. We called her Annie when she got older. She went by Anne. Um, and we would take her camping. And the camping was great. You know, we did all the usual camping stuff, marshmallows on sticks and everything like that. And she loved it. She loved it so much that she kept camping even after my family stopped going on these trips and she joined the Girl Scouts and went camping. And then after we all graduated from high school, she joined the army and I lost track of her. Um, eventually we became friends on Facebook. And finally, after a lot of, you know, stalking each other on Facebook, we decided to have a conversation. And so 
we got together on a Zoom call and started talking about our lives. And our conversation turned to camping. And I said, well, do you still camp? And she said, no, I don't camp anymore. And I said, it sounds like there's something that happened. And she said, yeah. You know, after high school, after college, after the army, I kept camping. I kept going. I had this dream of camping in all the national parks and then all the state parks. So I kept camping and I went to some amazing places and I, I got into some pretty hardcore stuff. You know, I was one of those people who would hike and camp and hike and camp and go far off the beaten path. And I got to tell you, I loved it, she said. And her face had this softness about it as she said that. But then she closed up again and paused. Laura, you shouldn't go into the woods at night. Why not? I'm still camping. You just shouldn't do it. Which made our conversation really awkward. So we hung up, and but I couldn't let it rest. I sent her a message and said, look, Annie, I need to know what happened, if you can share it with me. If it's too much, don't. And I was thinking she had some terrible experience with a person. But if you can, I'd really like to know, and maybe talking about it will help. And so we set up another Zoom call. Well, she said, I decided that I wanted to go camping up in the Pacific Northwest. I'd been to most of the national parks. So I found this state park in, in Washington State. And I was really excited about the trip. I, I love it up there. You know, it's beautiful up there, she said. It's the trees are tall and the soil has a particular softness to it. So when you sleep on it, it's not so bad. So I, I got to the, the park and I stopped off at the ranger's booth to pay my fees. And I said to the ranger, joking, hey, any Bigfoot sightings lately? Because, you know, that's Bigfoot country. And he said, no, 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 there's no Bigfoot. But hey, watch out for the hide behind. And he had this big smile on his face. So I laughed. I told him where I was going to be camping. I parked my car and got out my gear and put my pack on and I began to walk. It was beautiful. You know, it was one of those forests where the light comes through and these misty bands and where the trees are so tall that you can't even see the tops and the trunks so wide that they seem like they are going to be there forever. The path itself was an easy path and well-tended, so I could look around while I walked. I wasn't worried about falling. And I walked for most of the day and then found my site. I set up my tent and got a little fire going and got my dinner cooking. And the world around me began to grow dark, and I could hear all of those night sounds, you know, the insects and the frogs and the sound of the deer tromping through the woods. I was relaxed and happy. It wasn't quite dark when I, I got up to go to my latrine. And as I walked there, I thought I saw something on a tree in the distance. I thought I saw fingers around a tree pull back and disappear. And so I stomped and made some noise. It might have been a bear or something, but I didn't hear anything else. So I, I went and did my business. And as I was walking back again, I saw these fingers around a different tree pull back and disappear. And just before I got to my camp, I saw behind another tree, the fingers, and I thought I saw kind of a shadow looking out at me. 
Now, the woods are weird places, and the woods in the Pacific Northwest, they are extra weird. So I yelled out something about, hey, whatever you are, whoever you are, nice to see you. I'll be gone in the morning. Let's leave each other alone, okay? And I, I'll put out something to eat so you, you, you can feel, you know, you can have a bite. Because, you know, if it was Bigfoot, <laughs> I, uh, I thought it would be a nice neighborly thing to do. So I finished my meal and I cleaned everything up and I put the food up high in a tree in a bear bag and I went into my tent, went to sleep. I woke up in the middle of the night. I had to pee. I always have to pee in the middle of the night's night when I'm in the woods. So I put on my boots and I got out and I had my flashlight and I walked over towards my latrine when I saw just behind the latrine those claws and the flashlight something peering out at me and then the head went back and the claws pulled back and so I made some noise and yelled and I did my business and then I turned to go back to my camp I couldn't see my tent the latrine wasn't that far from the tent I should have been able to see it it was it was an orange tent but I couldn't see any orange so I turned around thinking I might've gotten disoriented and I was shining the light everywhere and I didn't see the tent, but at a closer tree I saw. And I took a few steps back. You know, I saw things in the army and I've camped, I camped for years after you took me on those trips. And I've been scared in the woods before. Not like this. I felt like I was a prey animal and that thing was hunting me. So I took a few steps back and then I turned and started walking and I looked behind me and I didn't see it. And when I turned back, there it was around a tree. And I turned, went backwards and turned and started to run and my flashlight was bouncing all over the place and I kept seeing it. And I could feel my heart begin to pound. And so I was running as fast as I could. And, you know, I dropped my flashlight. <clears throat> but I didn't want to stop to get it because that thing who knew where it was. So I just started running as fast as I could. And I was running and I saw at a tree these claws, but I couldn't stop. And I ran right into it. And I fell down. I wasn't unconscious but I wasn't not. And then its face appeared over me and I felt sharp claws in my shoulders. And then it smiled. Well, I woke up in my tent. My flashlight was beside me. My boots were, they should, were where they should be. I could see the light streaming in through that orange fabric. And I thought, oh my God, what a nightmare. That was awful. And I started to pull myself out of my tent, but something felt wrong. So I pulled my shirt aside. The claw marks were deep and raw and still seeping. Well, I packed up everything. I shook out all my food for whatever might be there. And I hiked out of the woods. And when I started pulling my car out, the ranger came up to me with a smile and said, hey, you see Bigfoot? And I just said, no, 
no, I didn't see Bigfoot. And I drove away. I haven't been in the woods since. Her face was so still. And then she broke the Zoom connection. I see her on Facebook sometimes. She posts a lot of pictures of cities and of nightclubs and never posts a picture of the forest. We're gonna let this be a moment of silence for my spine. <laughs> 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 Nothing can hurt me underneath this blanket. That's right. <laughs> nope. Yeah, nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was okay. That was really good. Yeah. That was so good. Thank you. That one is mine. Good job. Oh. Yeah, I, I worry about my imagination sometimes, but yeah, that one's my Oh, fabulous. Oh. Okay. That was fabulous. Thank you. It's now, if any of you if any of you come to the haunted concert, I will probably tell that one, but the others uh, yeah. should be different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's you like have to recover from that. Um, mm -hmm. Also, I live near the woods. So we're gonna Emily, it it's not it's not the claws at night. It's just me. I've secretly flown sixteen six hundred <laughs> miles. I'm just standing behind the tree. I swear, Trey, if you mm -hmm. ever do that to me <laughs> I'll just you know. Well, hey, we put uh, a litany of ducks in the uh, in the pool for Josh's birthday. Uh, oh, yeah. What's a few few dozen of your friends hiding behind trees just going? That's right, a few dozen. <coughs> just, oh yeah, yeah. So, are you, is this the part where you tell us that story is true? <laughs> um, that story is based on on some true stuff. Uh, do you want me to tell you any more than that? Sure. So. Well, the hide behind is actually can be found not not under that name, but excuse me, I need a cough drop. But the yeah. thing the thing that peeks around trees, it doesn't usually have the claws. Those are mine. But something that peeks around trees and, and will chase you is is part of uh, forest lore in parts of the country. But the details are all mine. I like how you put. It can be found. Like, it, it can be found out there. You can find this creature thing mm -hmm. out there yep. in forest yep. parts in <laughs> in your neighborhood. Mm -hmm. You know, just go for a walk in the woods tonight, Emily. You'll find it. Hmm. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Or it will Seth. find you. Seth? Seth? <laughs> Who, I'm so glad that I don't sleep alone, especially tonight. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, you're you're right, Josh. It is um fey folk of all kind, there are lots of scary stories about them and they come in many different shapes and sizes. So like while we are recovering, um what I'm interested in is from your perspective, like when you get done telling a spooky story, um how do you recover? 
from these stories? Good question. I do need to recover from them because, as I said, to tell them well, it helps if they scare you a little bit mm -hmm. um, or at least, you know, give you chills. So after a concert like this, um, I'm, I will go have something to eat. Tonight, mm -hmm. I'm going to have something to eat. I try and, and engage with some kind of story. I'm sorry about the crunching. <laughs> or media. Or media. It's the hide behind. What can I say? Um, that <laughs> is different. Different somehow. Mm -hmm. um, I often will wash my face in cold water because that actually is, is um, physiologically cold water on your face helps bring everything down, brings, brings your heightened states down. Um, occasionally, like around this time of year, if I'm, if I gave myself a good scare, I'll watch a scary movie because I'm already in the right state for it. But being able to have those jumps that I don't, because I don't know they're coming, it means that I get to expel some of that adrenaline because hmm. there's a way to, way to expel it. Sometimes I'll go for walks or exercise. Um, but cold water is actually my, my biggest help or i can tell a silly story if you want and then we'll all giggle and it will be okay <laughs> that's kind of my go-to if i watch like a scary movie or i i mean usually it's inadvertent because i don't seek those out but mm -hmm. um if i do find that what i've watched it might give me nightmares uh or if i think that's a possibility i must do some kind of palate cleanse mm -hmm. by watching something yeah. funny yeah, palate cleansing helps. Here, let me share one more very quick story. Is That'll that okay? Great. That'll be great okay. for the audience members who might need a palate cleanse. Yep. Me, that would be me. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Once upon a time, there was a man who said he wasn't afraid of anything. And whether or not that was true, his friends got really tired of him boasting about it all the time. They'd, they'd listen, someone would tell a scary story and he'd say, nope, it doesn't scare me. There'd be a crack of lightning and he'd say, nope, I'm not afraid. Nothing seemed to scare this guy. And his friends got really annoyed. So they decided to make a bet with him that he could not stay the whole night in the local haunted house. Everyone knew this place was haunted. No one had made it past 1201 in that house. And if he could make it there, well, then maybe they'd believe him. And maybe once he proved it, he would shut up and stop boasting. But if something in there scared him, then surely he would shut up about nothing ever scaring him. So he agreed. He went to the haunted house on a night of a full moon. He sat down. <coughs> on a dusty old rocking chair and he started to rock back and forth and the chair and the floor both went creak, creak. And he sat there with a lantern reading his book, taking sips from his thermos. And at midnight, he heard footsteps upstairs and a voice said, do you want to see what I do with my long red fingernails and ruby red lips? And he stopped and he thought, no, I, I didn't hear anything. And he rocked back and forth in his creaky chair. And then he heard footsteps coming down the stairs. And he heard a voice say, do you want to know what I do with my long red fingernails and my ruby red lips? And he held still and he felt his heart begin to beat a little faster. And then he heard the footsteps 
creak into the room and there was a huge shadowy figure there. And as it spoke, he could see light glinting off of long red fingernails, the color of blood. And the voice said, do you want to know what I do with my long red fingernails and my ruby red lips? And the man couldn't stand it anymore. He jumped up and he began to run. He ran out of the house running as fast as he could. And he heard footsteps behind him and a voice saying, do you want to know what I do with my long red fingernails and my ruby red lips? And he ran as fast as he could. And he ran long and he ran hard, but he ran out of breath and he stopped and the footsteps ran up to him and he turned around and there was a huge hideous creature with, with markings all over its skin and wounds and long red fingernails and ruby red lips. And it leaned towards him. Its breath was terrible. And it said, do you want to know what I do with my long red fingernails and my ruby red lips? And the man, thinking it was the end, just wanted it to be over with. And he said, yes, fine, show me. And the creature went. <sighs> wow. Wow. <laughs> Yep. That's brilliant. <laughs> yep. That's brilliant. Um, yep. If anybody from work is currently listening to this, uh, please don't, please do not ruin this when I tell this during our next staff meeting. Oh, good. Excellent. Oh, good Excellent. idea. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, we're all in the office for Halloween, and I think this Ooh. would be a perfect, perfect story. Yep. What a perfect Yeah, you totally twist. should do it. Mm -hmm. And the more, you know, when you're in person, you can do this and wave your fingers at them. And so. <laughs> oh, they're getting the full treatment. Oh, Good. Excellent. Oh. I cannot That's wait to hear perfect. about this. <laughs> uh, oh, my gosh. Laura, it never ceases to amaze me how incredible of a storyteller you are. Oh, um, thank you. Has, has anyone told you that you should do this for a living? <laughs> a few people have mentioned it, yes. And about 30 years ago, I took their advice. Good. Yay! And here we are. Here we are. Um, well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, you can interact with Laura on Instagram at StoryLaura. Uh, you can find out more about Laura at laurapacker.com. Mm -hmm. uh, she has an incredible Patreon that you should go and support, uh, patreon.com forward slash laurapacker. Uh, she offers different tiers uh, that you can subscribe to Laura. Um, and, and let me just say, um, one of the rewards this month is going to be a summary of how to tell a scary story on my Patreon. Oh, nice. So if you want to do this for yourself, there will be information going up probably next week about it. That's right. Yep. Be the star of the, of the party. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and then you can tune in and watch Laura's upcoming concert, Haunted, More Stories uh, for the Brave of Heart on October 25th. Uh, you can get your tickets at Eventbrite um, and search for, again, it is Haunted, More Stories for the Brave of Heart. Search for that and get your tickets now. Um, 
I will be purchasing mine in just a couple of minutes here Yay. once we wrap up. Yep. Uh, and it, a recording will be available for two weeks afterwards for ticket holders. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Yes. Seth, and... I know what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> also coming in 2024, Laura Packer will be at the 510 Art Lab in Sock Yay. Center, Minnesota. Yeah, that'll be really fun. Yep. We have lots in store for that. That'll be great. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for letting me share stories with you and give you the creeps um, and go splash some cold water on your face and, and eat a brownie or something like that. I like yes. that. That's such a good yeah. plan. Yep. Good plan. Trey, Not make... one of the fey folk brownies, but like a chocolate. Brownie. Yeah. Good advice. Yeah. Trey, yeah. you might have to throw those brownies away then. We'll start over. Uh, no, I already ate one. What, what do I do now? <laughs> so did it squeak while you were chewing it or what? I don't want to talk about it. Okay. <laughs> That's so wonderful. I don't remember my name. What else did I give up? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, this episode... Episode? This episode. This episode, <laughs> along with probably every episode moving forward, is in memory to Joe Capone, our moderator, fellow mm -hmm. comedian, passionate encourager, and greatly missed friend. You can find us pretty much wherever you tune into podcasts. For updates, announcements, and more, please follow us on social media under Modern Romantic. Thank you, everybody. And remember, sleep with a knife under your pillow. Exactly. Have a spooky day. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye.